Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, today we're going to be taking a special look at the state of the United Kingdom amid growing calls for independence, not only from Scotland, also from Wales and the potential even for a united Ireland as well. But first, let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics. Yep, two things really you need to know today. The first one is around travel. The UK government imposing mandatory COVID tests on all passengers arriving into the country. Anyone who doesn't do that faces an immediate fine of £500. At the same time, travellers arriving from countries not on the approved list will have to isolate at home for 10 days, regardless of the test results. Remember, at the moment, you can get a private test, and if that comes back negative, it cuts your time in isolation to five days. That, clearly, is going away. One group that's not very happy about all of this is Heathrow Airport, as you might imagine. Their boss, John Holland Kay, saying that testing should only be temporary. We've long called for pre-departure testing as an alternative to quarantine. It's much better that we know before people get to the UK that they don't have COVID, they can travel uh, with more confidence on the plane, knowing that all the other passengers don't have COVID, and that way we can keep our borders secure. Now this comes as the Prime Minister now aims to vaccinate at least 200,000 people a day by January the 15th. We are in a race against time, but I can assure you that we are doing everything we can to vaccinate as many people as possible across our whole United Kingdom. And the renewed ambition comes as England's NHS is said to be nearing full capacity, treating 50% more patients than at the peak of the first wave. Yesterday, a further 1,162 more people were reported to have died, and England recorded more than 52,000 new cases of COVID-19. So it is very, very similar to what we've seen in the last few days, things still looking very dire. Okay, well, let's get to the subject of our special programme today. While Boris Johnson's been dealing with both the pandemic and the challenges of getting a Brexit deal, an issue's been growing that threatens the existence of the nation itself. The regional elections in Scotland in May, assuming they are still held despite the virus, are expected to reflect the growing appetite for independence. Meanwhile, the rule changes after Brexit that create an effective trade border in the Irish Sea have revived questions about Irish unity. And even in Wales, a sure-footed performance on the virus by the Welsh Government has rather pushed the ideas of further devolution. So, is the United Kingdom at risk? Well, let's start with Scotland. Joining us now is Miles Briggs, Member of the Scottish Parliament for Lothian and Shadow Cabinet Member for Health and Sport. Miles, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us. Um, How strong do you think the push for independence in Scotland is at the moment? Well, I actually think it's become a bit of a response, um, which we've seen from 
nationalists, I suppose, to, to the current circumstances around uh, the pandemic. And I think to some extent, um, when you look at polls, individual polls haven't really changed from where we were in 2014. What's important, and I think uh, there was a poll actually just a few weeks ago, which showed that actually 63% of people in Scotland do not see independence as a priority. I think that's important to bear in mind, given we're in the middle of this global pandemic. There's a certain amount of cherry picking going on there then, Miles. I mean, looking back at the polls, you see consecutive numbers of them. I think it was into the double digits. It was a lot um, that, that are putting the support for independence above uh, sort of, or, or as a majority outcome, let's say. So the, the support right is there and it only seems to be growing. No, I, I don't feel that on the ground. And I think certainly, um, you know, when you're speaking to constituents and people who um, are really concerned where this country is, um, the next parliamentary elections in Scotland has to be all about our economic recovery. It has to be about the fact that we've taken such a hit with this pandemic. And I don't think when you really speak to people um, and another divisive independence referendum is what they want to see. Well, Miles, you're going to be standing again for Holyrood in May, assuming the elections take place, as we said. Um, you're going to be talking to voters on the ground, I'm sure, some of whom, uh, clearly from, from whatever way you read the polls, are going to be asking you about the prospects of another referendum for independence. Are you just going to say, look, I'm sorry, uh, there's no question of another referendum, even if a large number of Scots want it, uh, London says no? Well, I don't want to see another one. You know, the referendum we had in 2014 was one of the most divisive events I think we've ever seen in Scotland's history. It wasn't some great civic joyous occasion. People were set against each other. Families were torn apart. And we've seen actually friendships broken because we had to force people to take a side between wanting to stay part of the UK or break up. Um, our United Kingdom. So I don't want to see another one. I think, you know, people know that being a unionist politician. And we said when we signed the Edinburgh Agreement, all politicians, including Nicola Sturgeon, who signed that agreement, that this would be a once in a lifetime, once in a generation event. Now, she didn't win that referendum. I understand that. But this is what democracy is all about, how we put arguments to the people and then the manner by which we live by their decision. And so we now have a UK government with an 80 seat majority, which was elected on a platform of not having a referendum, not having another Scottish independence referendum in the term of this parliament. So that's the message we'll take to voters. And I hope people in Scotland will focus actually on what we really need to do, which is rebuilding our public services and getting our economy back on track after what has been um, a completely awful period of time with the pandemic. Sure, sure. But I mean, that government was elected by the United Kingdom as a whole. Self-determination in terms of Scottish independence lies with the Scottish people. And if we see uh, a strong SNP showing in May, if we do get that election, then the case really becomes very difficult for Boris Johnson not to get on board with having a second vote, no matter how divisive it is. I mean, we, we had the Brexit vote in between, another divisive referendum. And that really has changed things quite dramatically for Scotland, hasn't it? Well, we've put, in terms of um, the Prime Minister, the First Minister has relaunched this independence campaign almost um, as many years we've had her being First Minister in Scotland. Um, and we see a constant uh, relaunch of the SNP campaign and drive for independence. That's basically to keep uh, their core vote together in Scotland. Um, the Prime Minister has written back to her previously saying that he's keeping to the agreement which David Cameron signed with the then First Minister, um, Alex Salmon to say that this was a once-in-a-generation event. And people for two years in Scotland had a long, divisive campaign before we voted 
And the vast majority of people, over 55% of the population, said they wanted to remain part of the UK. And I think we should start respecting democratic outcomes. You know, Nicola Sturgeon hasn't respected any referendum we've held and the outcome of them. And what we now need to see, I think, is a period of healing and time for us to come together um, as a country. And I say that as Scotland and the United Kingdom, because Scotland is very divided on both referendums. And we need to come together and look to the future. 55% 55% isn't a vast majority, Mars. And the fact is, I mean, a lot of people think what's going on is the problem in London. The Conservative government there has failed to sell the union. And many Tories have said this to me uh, as well. Uh, Boris Johnson, for example, saying that Scottish devolution was a disaster. I mean, that didn't exactly help, did it? Well, I think specifically he was taught referring to the SNP government and some of their decisions um, policy-wise uh, when he was quoted. Um, in terms of what I want to see, I'm the first to say that I want to see the UK government do more uh, to m- promote the benefits of us being part of the United Kingdom. The fact we are seeing the rollout of this vaccine and the decisions taken by UK ministers to make us lead the Europe drive for a vaccination. And we've now had um, over a million people vaccinated when parts of Europe, like France, are in the hundreds. You know, we are in a good place because of UK decisions. But I take on board that criticism and I speak to colleagues down south and say that we need to do more to demonstrate that Scotland has two governments um, serving the people of Scotland. And I think the, the PR, to some extent, at a UK level isn't good enough. And I certainly uh, want to see the benefits of us being part of the most successful political union ever in the world, I believe, uh, really sold to people more. Well, I mean, in terms of having good PR, would it help to draw on people from across the political spectrum to help you do that? I mean, there's a piece in The New Statesman this week that's saying that it's about time the Tories asked Gordon Brown to lend a hand. I mean, he's someone who's very well respected north of the border. And the general thrust of the piece was that uh, it really is a Labour politician who people in Scotland are going to listen to when it comes to, uh, to, 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 to making their mind up on independence. So is it time now to look more broadly in terms of building that coalition of, of pro-union voices? Yes, and, you know, I, I want to see anybody who wants to continue to see us being a key part of the United Kingdom and, and making sure we protect our union, uh, making their voices heard. So Gordon Brown hasn't gone away. He's continued uh, to be a voice in Scotland on many issues, to be quite honest, not just this. Um, so I welcome that fact. I think people need to understand that the union isn't necessarily a party political issue. Um, this is an issue about our constitution. It's about how we work together across these islands. And to be quite honest, I don't think we've done a good enough job at selling the emotional connection of us being a United Kingdom and brothers and sisters living and working and, and not actually thinking about travelling around these islands and crossing borders or putting up borders. I think that we need to do more of that to actually sell the benefits of the United Kingdom. Well, that work is underway. Uh, but we need to redouble our efforts because everything Nicola Sturgeon and this SNP government look at, they see through the prism of trying to force independence, uh, not necessarily about a policy decision. Very briefly, Mars, if you would just stand back from the Scottish position and say, what, what about the rest of the union? I mean, do you fear for the breakup of the UK, perhaps Wales pushing away, Northern Ireland potentially with this new uh, border effectively down the Irish Sea? No, I don't. And I think actually when we come through this pandemic, and I hope sooner rather than later, and what will be key is for us to really come together and see the benefits of working together to pull our resources and get people's lives back on track to rebuild our public services and our economy, because we haven't even got to the start of the impact of COVID. And I think talking about constitutions isn't going to be a priority for people. And in fact, parties who decide to do that will probably be punished at the ballot box. 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, there are big threats to the unity of the Union. It's a country that's existed in its present form since 1921, when the Irish Free State, later the Irish Republic, departed. It's been joined to London since 1801, Scotland since 1707, and Wales since 1542. But what of its future? Well, uh, joining us now to discuss all of this is uh, David Edgerton. He is Hans Rousing Professor of the History of Science and Technology and Professor of Modern History, uh, Modern British History at King's College London. He's also the author of The Rise and Fall of the British Nation. Uh, David, good to have you with us. Um, I mean, let's, let, let's talk about the why around this. Why now has all of this bubbled up and become such a significant issue uh, for politicians both in Westminster and around the Union? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's arisen now essentially because of uh, because of Brexit. But um, we've we've had a, a potential breakup of the United Kingdom for a very long time, uh, certainly since the 1960s, the 1970s. Indeed, it could be argued that it has been uh, British membership of the EU which has kept uh, the UK together. That's to say that the Northern Irish, uh, particular problems of Northern Ireland, were overcome very much within the context of uh, British membership and indeed Irish membership of the uh, of the EU. The Good Friday Agreement was essentially based on uh, uh, membership of the EU. In the case of uh, in the case of Scotland, you know, one of the um, things that stopped the Scottish people voting for independence in 2014 was precisely the danger of losing membership of the of the EU. Uh, of course, Scottish nationalism has been uh, very pro-European indeed, so that was a, a particularly great problem. So what we've, uh, what we've had with, uh, with, 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 with Brexit is that the breaking up of a very important glue uh, that held together the, uh, the United uh, Kingdom. And um, more than that, the systematic indifference of um, the Brexiters and now a, a Brexiter government to the issue of, of Northern Ireland and indeed the indifference to uh, the, the, the feelings of, of the Scottish people with respect to the EU. So um, the breaking of the union is, is both a, a product of leaving the EU and indeed the, the, um, the method of leaving the EU as well. What was the origin, though, which some have pointed to, and certainly um, Boris Johnson has, uh, the devolution policies of the Blair government at the end of the 90s? Was that what really put this in question at all from the beginning? No, not at all. I mean, the, the, the devolution policies were there to, to meet the challenge of, of the existing uh, uh, nationalism. Uh, they, were an, they, they, they were an attempt, indeed, to, to, uh, to keep Scotland within, within the Union. It's exactly the other way around. And, and I mean, looking at things from a from a broader perspective, I mean, this is a very wide ranging question. But would you say that the UK has been a successful project on the whole? Uh, it it, um, it it was a successful project uh, uh, between the nineteen forties and the and the nineteen seventies. I, I think it's uh, it's uh, it's not it's not obvious that it is a successful project. I mean, the, the legitimacy of the British state uh, 
has uh, uh, taken quite a beating, and not just directed. I mean, it happened before. I mean, the very important claim made by by Scottish nationalists is that um, the central UK uh, state is backward and uh, incompetent, and uh, uh, and Scotland needs to to be to be free of it, um, free of free of of the central British state of, of Westminster and uh, and Whitehall. So, uh, I, I think um, uh, one of the problems, indeed, is 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 the politicians and indeed commentators in, in London, you know, not understanding that many parts of the United Kingdom do not do not believe in the national, national mythologies of that, of that United Kingdom. So if we take that forward, then, uh, uh, David, and say, could Scotland survive on its own? Is, is it a, a viable state outside the UK, would you say? Well, I, yes, why not? I mean, there are there are states the size of Scotland which are not only viable but richer than uh, than Scotland. The Scottish nationalists are very keen to 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 point out Norway, for example, um, uh, and of course, uh, Scottish ind- independence is is a is a is a is a political program for Scot- Scotland to be independent within uh, the EU. So um, uh, it's not it's uh, it's it's not a question of Scotland being kind of self-sufficient and isolated from, from, from the world. Rather, it is for Scotland that it's going to be or continue to be as integrated into, into, into the European economy as, as it has been um, until the 1st of January. Uh, and do you see that being a fairly straightforward process? I mean, I don't think it's ever been done before having a country uh, leave, I suppose, in a sense against its will and then rejoining the EU. Do you see people in Brussels being open to that? I, I think they. I think there will be. Obviously, there, there will be. There will be complications, but uh, I, I think it would be politically very sensible for, for Brussels to, 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 to welcome Scotland. Um, indeed. Well, what about the other parts of, of the union? Uh, Welsh independence is something that has been on the agenda to some extent, although most people assume that that is simply not a practical way forward, given uh, Wales's economic resources and, and various other issues. But is that something that, that could be there? It certainly seems to be more uh, favoured in opinion polls than before. Well, yes, and I, I don't think it's, it's impossible. I think it will be um, uh, a slower process than, 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 than Scottish independence. But the really interesting one, I think the, the most uh, pressing one, um, uh, is, is, is the Northern Irish uh, one. I mean, we have to remember that in, in this case, the, the, the British uh, government uh, I mean, completely misled um, its natural allies in, in Northern Ireland, the Brexit uh, 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 DUP, um, by saying there wouldn't be a border down the Irish Sea, and, and uh, uh, you know, Boris Johnson was openly mendacious on this. And um, you know, we see now there is a border down the down the down the middle of the uh, of, of the, of the Irish, Irish Sea. Now, you could argue, as the government is now doing, that uh, Northern Ireland would have the best of both worlds, as they being in the being in the EU uh, and in the um, and in the United Kingdom, but I think this is going to lead, in fact, to to, to pressures to um, to unite Ireland to go back uh, before 191921, but to uh, to a um, to an independent Ireland um, in, in in the EU, and of course that would have consequences, I think, for not only Scottish independence but also for, for Welsh independence um, uh, uh, as well. Yeah, and on Ireland, I mean, it's interesting you say that. What do you think is the driving factor of that border? Is it purely the politics of having a border there, or is it the economic impact of it? Well, it's going to be both those things. I think there is demographic change in uh, in Northern Ireland that will lead to the elimination of the of of um, the unionist um, uh, majority, and I think there is there is a certain uh, logic to to um, 
to uh, to reducing uh, the, the barriers between the north and south of, uh, of, of Ireland, some of which, of course, do come in with, uh, with Brexit. So, um, uh, I mean, history um, uh, takes all sorts of uh, funny turns, but uh, as, as things uh, stand at the moment, I think uh, Brexit has massively accelerated um, a, a process which was likely to, 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 to take place anyway. David, let me ask you then about the, the one part we haven't mentioned, really, which is England. I mean, England hasn't been a separate state since the 16th century. Uh, would England on its own be relatively powerful economically, politically? Would it just be a sort of rump state that lost a lot of influence that it had? Well, uh, um, I mean, the United Kingdom has already lost uh, influence uh, massively. Um, and, um, you know, I think there has been a, 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 a tendency to overestimate its, uh, its place in the world. There's, talk, there's constant talk of it being the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. Uh, not, not, not untrue, but what that means is it's the same size as France or, or India. Um, uh, it, it's something like 2% of the world, um, world economy. But I think actually uh, uh, independence of, the, of, 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 uh, of, of England, uh, what you call a rump, <laughs> a rump um, would actually be a good thing because it um, it would uh, um, help get rid of uh, these delusions of grandeur, which have been so damaging, actually, to the British economy, to 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 our sense of sense of, of, of who we are and and, uh, and and what we what we ought to be. So I, I see I see a uh, an England itself liberated from um, uh, uh, the, the the United Kingdom uh, as as a good thing as well. Mm, that, that's an interesting take. And then practically, what does that look like? I mean, we end up in a Brexit type situation where suddenly you're in divorce talks, you're dividing up all the goods, everything from natural resources to, to, to sort of human resources, the military, etc. How do you go about deciding who gets to keep what? Uh, well, it'll be it'll be an interesting process. Um, um, I mean, on the, on the military thing, I think um, I think uh, I think what would result would, would be a decision to get rid of certain things, not least uh, not, not least nuclear weapons. Uh, I really can't see an English uh, government uh, rebuilding uh, the nuclear bases which are which are currently in Scotland, and I think that itself would be a very good thing. Okay, David, let me ask you then, finally, do you actually think the UK will survive as an entity, or do you think what we're talking about will actually happen? I think it's it's unlikely, actually, uh, unless there is a really very major 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 change. Uh, which um, re-establishes the United Kingdom as something something fresh, um, and uh, engaged in in a, in, a, in a journey back to uh, um, a closer relationship um, with the with the European European continent. I think this is indeed a very very important uh, uh, yeah. moment, and there's been a radical, as I say, delegitimization of the British state in the eyes of uh, many many people. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.